This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Welcome to Relevant Life Church. Uh, I've been gone, and hopefully, and I know that there's a lot of new people here. I've heard the stories. I can't wait to meet you. Uh, Ron and I have been on a vacation, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. But it's good to see you. Man, there is nothing like being in the presence of God. You know, and we do it online. We can see it online, and I'm so thankful for that. But getting in the house with people, live bodies, singing has been amazing. Amen? How many appreciate the worship that we have? we got three of you. How many appreciate the worship that we have, right? Amen. And we're pointing to the one who does it all, and that's na- his name is Jesus. Uh, I want to recognize two very important people in our lives, Mar- Lou and Margaret Shelton. Uh, would you stand to your feet back there? Come on. They're like going, who? And, uh, they have been powerhouses in our lives, powerhouses in the state of Oregon. And uh, he used to pastor, and he is... He's, they're retired, but he's still ministering. He still does, and he uh, is here today just, just to say hi. He was a special mentor in Rhonda's life when she got her licensing. If you want to hear the story, I know she would love to tell you about it, but he believes in women in ministry, and he believes in, in pastors. He believes in, believes in churches, and we thank you for showing up today, coming and visiting us. Today is a good day, right? How many are excited for all that God's going to do this fall? Uh, on top of all that, we want, to, we want to make a special announcement. All of you have been itching for this announcement. We've announced it, but you're trying to go, who is this person? Some of you may know who they are. They've been living next door for the last two weeks and peeking through the curtains. Uh, I've, been, I've been stingy to say, I don't want them here. I don't want to introduce them until I'm back from vacation. But would you welcome to the stage, Jesse and Kendra and Shep Davis. Come on. Those of you that are here today and are new, you don't probably necessarily know exactly who these guys are. They're our new youth pastors, and we are pumped and excited. Uh, This is a dream come true. You know, I want to say probably about five years ago or so, maybe a little bit longer than that, uh, God connected Jesse in my heart, and it was a dream for him and a dream for me that he would come back from Hood River. He's been in Hood River uh, youth pastoring, but that he would come and he'd be on staff at RLC. And God opened this door. You know how God's timing is perfect, right? God's timing is perfect. Uh, Jesse and Kendra have been married for what was, I brought down four years, going to be five coming up here, right? And uh, ministry for five years. They just passed the five-year mark, and uh, they've joined our team. And uh, Trent and Allie, as you know, have, have kind of stepped out of their roles, stepping into new roles. And, they're st- and Jesse and Kendra are stepping in, and Shep, of course. He is the powerhouse here of all of them. Uh, let me tell you, he's got energy, and he will run you down. Uh, <laughs> But uh, they're, 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 we're excited for this new journey. We're excited for this new chapter of what God's going to do. And would you extend your hands? I've asked Trenton to, to come and pray over them. But would you extend your hands as we commission them into this role? God, we just thank you today for appointments, God, and um, giftings, God, that you've given individuals, God. And I, I thank you for the season, God, that we're stepping into as a church, God, that you knew in 2022, God, September, God, that we would have this amazing couple, this amazing family, God, with us. And so I just pray over the next season, God, yeah. here at the church. God, I pray over their personal lives, God, it'd be, they would get healthier and stronger than ever, God. I pray over their ministerial lives, God, that there would be such an anointing, God, and power, God. I pray over our church, God, that as we put this focus on youth group, God, in a different 
different way. I pray that there would just be such growth, God, such power. God, and we just thank you for it, God. We thank you for them, God. We pray blessings over them and over this church. In Jesus' name, everyone say amen. Amen. Let's give them one more round of applause. Thank you, guys. So yes, they are living next door to our East Campus, and I want to instruct you today that yes, they live there, but they're not on, they're not on, on, they're not working 24 hours a day. So you come, you come to Relevant Life Church and you're looking for a pastor, we're not walking to the store and knocking on the door and going, hey, Pastor Jesse, will you help me? Okay, we have, a, we have a church office for that. We have a church number for that. We have amazing receptionists. We have people answering the phone and we do a lot of pastoral care and we will take care of your need, but he's not the one that's to go to, okay? I just want to make sure that that's really clear. Good announcement, Pastor Kevin. And Jesse and Kendra are saying thank you, thank you. Uh, I also want to say, let's be in prayer. You know, we have a lot of homeless need around here, and we just want to pray, God, would you keep, keep them just moving forward, keep them moving on, that this is not a place of settling. We don't want them to have to feel that burden as well. And uh, we know that there's ministries out there, and I will say this, we don't ignore the homeless because we are supporting many, many ministries across the city of Salem to help the homeless. Okay, we, we're, we're fulfilling our responsibility to those that, that have a need, but we're not necessarily handing stuff out from the door just because we're not able to monitor all that. Anyway, but be in prayer with all that. Those are all details and situations. Uh, Ron and I just got home. This is our first Sunday back, and we're excited to be home. And uh, thank you, thank you. But while we were gone, uh, the first, first 10 days, uh, Trent and I took a took, led a missions trip to Alaska, to Palmer and to Houston. We took 45 students uh, from the state of Oregon. Uh, Pastor uh, Sean had asked, he was, his calendar wasn't working out, so he asked me to lead this team. And so we had the privilege of ushering this team to Alaska to see God do amazing things. We came back for a few days, and uh, Ron and I stepped back on, we stepped onto a cruise ship with Frank and Karen Slider, and we went back to Alaska. Uh, and you're saying, Pastor Kevin, are you called to Alaska? I'm called to visit Alaska, right? It was beautiful. It was gorgeous. The scenery was amazing. But can I tell you something? We live in the great Northwest. So even though Alaska's pretty, it doesn't have anything on Oregon, right? It doesn't have anything on Montana. When if you go into Montana, Rocky Mountains, I mean, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it was fun. We saw amazing scenery. We saw whales. We saw all that sort of stuff. We see the the cityscape of Seattle leaving and coming. Can I tell you, I mean, nothing is like the cityscape of Seattle when you're you're on a boat. Uh, So everyone go take a cruise and and make sure you do it and give me credit so that I can go on another cruise. While we were on vacation, we celebrated 36 years of marriage, and uh, that was a lot of fun. A milestone in the middle of the ups and downs and the rains and the winds. How many know that God is faithful? And my wife is amazing. She puts up with me every single day, uh, and she's a dream to live with every single day. Right? We did a lot of day trips uh, throughout. We were planning to come back and camp, and we decided we'd rather sleep in our bed at home rather than our trailer bed. If you're a, an RVer at all, you're kind of going, yeah, I get that. Anybody out there go, you'd rather sleep in your own bed? And so we kind of came to a place of going, even though we want to camp, even though we want to get out there, it would be amazing. We decided we wanted to just sleep normal and real in our home bed. And our home bed is like heaven, you know? I mean, it's what heaven's going to be like, is this... Anyway, uh, today is a really special day besides all those things. Today is September 11th, 9-11, a moment to remember, a moment to pause before we step into the message, a moment to pause and to remember 
I ask you today, where were, where were you 20 years ago at this moment? Where were you when all of this took place 9-11. You know, I mean, all of us can come back with memories. All of us can come back with moments. Some of you are here going, I don't even remember. I wasn't even born then. Uh, some of you are out, you're going, you're a baby. But I think that all of us can have a moment that we remember what took place. It was in that moment that oh, close to 3,000 uh, Americans died in the, at the hands of terrorists. And today we don't want to come and celebrate that moment. We want to celebrate the memory of that moment. We want to celebrate the memory of those that gave their lives. We want to celebrate the moment that we're thankful that we have America that is free, a frank America that people have laid down their lives for us. Today we have Joey in our presence. We have people that are part of the military, and they keep us safe. How many are thankful for those that keep us safe, right? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yes. So let's just pray. God, today we thank you for this moment that we can look back on this tragedy, but we can see your hand involved through the redemption and restoration of it all. God, we don't make light of the loss. We don't make light of the sacrifices. God, today we come and we honor those, those memories and those sacrifices. And God, we even pray for those family members that still today, 20 years later, may be suffering. Children who don't know a, a parent because of this situation. God, those that are grieving that still have a loss in their hearts. God, would you bring comfort to them? God, we thank you for the many, God, whether they're on, whether they're, they're uh, in, in the army or God, whether they're our firemen or our policemen, we thank you for the many that protect us and keep us safe. God, would you bless them? Would you strengthen them? Would you protect them? God, would you cover them with your presence? And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. God is so good. Today, as we step into another uh, sermon on parables, everyone say parables. Uh, man, this has been an amazing series, has it not? I have, I, we have listened to every single sermon that is preached, and every communicator has been, been rock stars. And I love, I love the parables. I love the stories that are here. As we go to this, this, this slide, parables, a simple story used to illustrate a deep and a profound spiritual lesson. A story to illustrate a deep and a profound lesson. How many sometimes need the, the simple story to explain a deep theological process. I'm thankful for those because I'm not a theologian myself, but I like the simplicity that Jesus comes to communicate a story. And sometimes even in his simplicity, how many have discovered that sometimes in Jesus's parables, that they're not always that simple? That sometimes you're like going, well, Jesus, really, can you just tell me what you're trying to tell me? Don't tell me a story. Just tell me what you're trying to tell me. Jesus could have used any avenue to communicate the truths of his kingdom, but he chose parables. And our desire is to understand what his, what his parables meant and to align and the action and trajectory of our lives with their meanings and their truths. You know, every time Jesus got up to speak, every time Jesus interacted with individuals, his purpose was to bring an enlightenment to us that we would have something to align our lives with. His whole desire for us is that your life and my life would be spirit-empowered, that we would have a life change as a result of impacting or his impact on our lives. As I were, if I were to take opportunity this morning to go around the room and go, how has Jesus impacted you? Probably all of us would have some sort of a story. We should. It's called a testimony. That we'd go back and go, no, we can identify a moment when Jesus did something or multiple moments when Jesus did something in our lives. But can I tell you that it's not just what Jesus has done, it's what Jesus is now 
doing. So as we read the Word of God, as we partake in the Word of God, God's going, I don't want to just have done something. I want to be doing something. So as we come to these parables, the important aspect of it is that we align ourselves to the truth of these parables. We align ourselves to the truth of the Word. And we say, God, change me. God, move me. Align me. God, I align myself. I have to make, permit, I have to make uh, uh, purposeful decisions to align myself with the Word of God. How many know that that's part of Christianity? You made a purposeful decision to come to church this morning. Today, I want to talk about the parable of the rich fool. Everyone say, I'm rich. rich. Come on, I'm I'm rich. You know, we can look around our culture today and we find this whole idea that's so fascinating about rich people. Uh, people strike it rich with oil. People strike it rich with, with discovering gold or people uh, play Reader's Digest. Anybody ever, I mean, we're talking the day, but it, who's guilty of filling out the Reader's Digest sweepstakes information? Come on, be honest, be honest. I got people nodding their heads, but they're kind of a little bit ashamed to commit and people are going, what in the world is that? Well, it's a current day, it's an old day lottery ticket, in a sense, except you didn't pay for it. You know, we talk about the lottery. We talk about striking it rich. Everyone say, I'm rich. There's this fascination with being rich. The biggest lottery prize was a jackpot in 2016. It was shared by three people in three different states. It was $1.586 billion. A lot of money. A lot of money. It had to be divided, and it came to a total of $529 million. Say, I'm rich. rich. Right? I mean, think about it. Someone that won that prize, aren't you going, I'm rich. I'm rich. I don't gamble, but you know, God could drop one out of the sky, and I would go cash it in. (laughs) Someone could drop one in an offering envelope and say, this is for Pastor Kevin, and I'll go cash it in if I'm a winner, Right? You start to think about how, how would you spend it if you got it? You know, what would you do with millions of dollars if you won millions of dollars? And immediately I go to, I'm the, respons- I'm the responsible person, so I'm going to go, I'm going to pay off all my bills I'm gonna, or pay off my house. That's really the only bill that we have. Pay off my house. I'm going to pay off my kids' kids's bills. Uh, buy my daughter a house because they don't have a house. Buy, uh, pay off vehicles. Maybe go on some dream vacations. Probably one of the biggest things that I would do is I would hire a chauffeur. <laughs> Sasser, you would have a full-time job, dude. I don't like to drive. Anybody hate? I, I don't like to drive. Driving does not fill me. You know, it's like these people that are on the road all the time. I'm going to, no, get me out of here. I, I, I just want to... And if you've driven with me, you know that I don't like to drive. (laughs) I'd rather have a conversation and talk and, oh, wow, look at that. Look at this. But you do all those things and then what? And then what? David Edwards won $27 million in a Powerball jackpot and spent much of it on drugs in a mansion in a Learjet and fancy new cars. With $27 million, you could live comfortably for the rest of your life without working. But Edward spent lavishly and ended up living in a filthy storage unit until late in his, in his life, his wife eventually left him and he died in hospice care. He could have declared, I'm rich. And what did riches do for him? 
William Post won $16.2 million in the Pennsylvania lottery in 1998 and didn't live happily ever after. Instead, his brother hired someone to kill him and his wife. While other relatives talked him into bad business deals, he also spent lavishly on homes and cars and motorcycles, as well as a sailboat and an airplane. Within less than a decade, he had to declare bankruptcy. He's reported to have said everybody dreams of winning money, but nobody realizes the nightmares that come out of the woodwork or the problems. Today, we can, we can idolize richness. We can idolize money. We can idolize the pursuit of these things. But can I tell you, if you want to go on and read the stories of those who have won the lottery, many of them end just like this. Any of the, many of them end just like this, purposeless. I'm rich. We often think that being rich solves all of life's problems. If I just had a little bit more, how many have ever made that statement? If I just had a little bit more, maybe you've not said it, but you've thought it. If I just had a little bit more, the problem with richness is that it is deceptive and it brings a whole set of problems. Something that we need to realize this morning before I get into this parable. According to the world's wealth distribution, we are all rich. 71% of the world makes $10,000 or less per year. That's 3% of the world's well, riches. As we think about our lives today, if you make more than $10,000 a year, you're classified as someone who is rich. 21% of the world makes $10,000 to $100,000, 12.5% of the world's wealth. 7.3% of the world makes $100,000 to $1 million, 40% of the world's wealth. 0.7% of the world makes a million dollars or more, 45% of the world's wealth. What we need to realize even this morning as I was doing statistics is that there are 68 people in the United States of America that control the majority of wealth. 68 people. We come back with this concept today and we think of the rich young, the rich young fool, the rich fool here and we kind of go, why does this even matter? Why does Jesus even come and think it's important for us to understand and to comprehend and to even dialogue this topic of money? Not only is it this parable, but can I tell you that Jesus talked about it in, he had 35 parables, and he talked about money in 11 of those parables. He talked about money more than any other topic. Obviously, there was a situation that Jesus was trying to get to. The setting of this parable, Luke chapter 12, is where we're going to be, but the setting of this parable actually begins back in Luke chapter 11. Jesus is communicating to, to people, the, the Pharisees and the followers and some fans that are just like going, oh, Jesus, he's talking. Let's go listen to him. And he covered all sorts of a range of different things. And uh, chapter 11 starts off with the Lord's Prayer. And then he goes into a topic about demons and the power that he has over them. He talked about uh, people being blessed because they hear and do the word of God. He talked about the evil generation. He talked about being a light. And he also gave this warning to Pharisees at the end of chapter 11. But chapter 12 begins with the continuation of chapter 11. There's a, still this crowd that is gathering. And chapter 12 actually talks about this idea that there were thousands of people that were stumbling over one another to hear the stories of Jesus. 
Jesus starts off chapter 12 and he talks about being aware, being aware, be aware of the leaven, beware of hypocrisy. And obviously he's pointing to a concept of the Pharisees, but he's not just pointing at them. He's also pointing at us to go, be careful that you don't become a hypocrite. Be aware of the leaven that can come into your own life. He talked about the having no fear of death or the fear of persecution. And he made a big, huge statement that we're going to step into that's going to carry over into this parable and following in chapter 12. He says, if you don't acknowledge me before men, I will not acknowledge you before God. I love how Jesus communicates, and I love how the gospel of Luke even pulls apart this story and pulls apart the parables of Jesus, because you see purposefulness in everything that Jesus is doing. He's not just randomly having conversation, but all of these things, as you begin to read 11 and 12, and I encourage you to do so, read 11 and 12 all the way through the end of chapter 12, and you're going to see the, the thread, thread through all of that to come to this place that Jesus is trying to bring his disciples and those that are listening. He's trying to challenge them to something. Luke chapter 12, if you want to turn with me on your phones, in your Bible, that would be fantastic. You can follow me on the screen as well. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me as a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, beware, uh, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable, the ground, of a, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bar bigger ones and I'll, I will store my surplus grain. And I'll uh, say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Heavenly Father, today I thank you for the power of your word. God, I thank you that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. I thank you today that you are the one that brings conviction, that you are the one that stirs, that you are the one that wants to come and to cut away. You're the one that wants to do surgery in our hearts and in our lives. And so, God, today we come and we ask that you would speak to us through the power of your word, through the power of this parable. God, I pray today that we would not be guilty of trying to shove it onto somebody else to go, this does not apply to me. But God, this parable applies to each of our lives. God, help us to take the truths and apply them in Jesus' name. Amen. Before getting into the heart of this parable, it's important for us to be clear that Jesus is not condemning wealth. Everyone say it with me. Jesus is not condemning wealth. There's a lot of confusing messages throughout the, or throughout the Gospels that we think that Jesus is anti-money. Jesus is not anti-money. Jesus is all about priority. Amen. It's all about priority. It's all about what God wants in our lives. Jesus is not condemning wealth. He does, he's not even, uh, it's not even about the desire of wanting more. The whole story is this idea of about greed and a person's priorities and how, they're wanting, how God expects them or how they should live out their lives. Jesus is communicating that all the money and all the earthly agendas and all the wrong priorities have no value in your life when you're dead. How many realize that death is equal to all of us? 
If it, it's going to come someday. Some are going to be young and some are going to be old, but death is going to come. And Jesus is trying to stir his disciples as well as stir this crowd to go, don't just look at what you're storing up here on this planet. Don't just look at all that you can gain here. Realize that there is an eternity and that there's going to be a moment of reckoning with God himself. The key verses that we see in this are verses 15 and verses 21. It says, watch out. Everyone say, watch out. When you see a word such as this, you need to step back and go, okay, I need to pay attention. But what's so powerful about this verse of Scripture is it doesn't just say watch out. It also says be on your guard. It's a double emphasis to be alert to. He's not just saying watch out. He's going, watch out, watch out. He realizes that there's a tendency in all of our lives that we can look at the things on this planet and get consumed with them. How many in this room have ever gotten dissuaded with the things on this earth? It's a daily battle. It's a daily charge to us to watch out, to be on guard. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Jesus finishes this, the second verses in verse 21, and he says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. This concept that we come to is we going, God is not, God's not upset with wealth. God's not upset with having things. He's upset with pursuing things. He's, upset, he's, he's saying, beware that you're, that you're being rich to God, not just rich to yourself. Jesus' warning is about an unbalanced and a wrong-focused life. Whether that is money, whether that is things, whether that is popularity, whether that is family. Can I tell you, we could go through a list of things that we might be greedy over, greedy over our time. All types of things. What leads in this parable is a dispute as common as today as it was 2,000 years ago. A man in the crowd of 1,000 people says, Jesus, would you tell my brother that he needs to give me part of the inheritance? I don't know about you, but I have watched family after family after family that a parent dies and the inheritance hasn't been split or they don't think it's been split equally and there's become a dispute. There's people that I've counseled, people that we have met with that at this point still don't have conversations with a family member because they feel disgruntled about an amount of money that was not given to them. Agreed that was there, an injustice that was there. Never would a Jewish individual come and go to a Gentile, Gentile setting to get a solution. So he's recognizing that Jesus, this rabbi, this teacher, could be an arbitrator over all of this. And so he comes and he asks this question. And Jesus comes and says, I'm, I'm not going to get into all that. I'm not going to give you a real definitive answer. Jewish tradition would have made, it, made the distribution of a man's estate very routine. The dead man's holding were to be equally divided among the living sons. The eldest son to receive a double portion along with the right to take on his father's place as a patriarch. There's a significance that's going on in this process of this, this, this preliminary of the story. And Jesus, rather than actually coming and answering it, he says, I'm going to tell a story to everyone. 
I'm going to confront the, the underlying issues that are here. Jesus shifts his focus. He says, beware, watch out, be perceptive, use your powers of observation. No matter how small or insignificant it might be, there needs to be a place of contentment in your life. Don't be, don't be disillusioned and don't follow after something that you should not. This desire for more, this desire for wealth is all around us. To illustrate this denunciation of greed, Jesus tells this parable. He tells a story of this wealthy Jewish man. We're assuming it's Jewish because Jesus is a Jew and Jesus is communicating primarily to Jews. Can I tell you in this story, as he begins to tell this story, he's, this man, this, this man that he's talking about is someone to be envied, someone to be looked up to, because the Jewish culture understood the principle of blessing was not out of self. The principle of blessing was from God himself. That everything that this man owned was God's. We even see in this story that this man ponders the problem. He tried to find a wise solution. And he came to a worldly solution. He came to a worldly wisdom to go, I'm just going to build bigger barns. I'm just going to store it unto myself. Does that sound a little bit like America today? I'm just going to make more so I have more. But the problem was is that he was functioning from world's success, world's wisdom, not God's wisdom. When we think of this, world, this word here that Jesus says, you're a fool, Jesus calls him a fool towards the end of this parable. This word fool literally means to be mindless. To be mindless, it describes someone who refuses to use her, his or her brain in practical matters. The Lord didn't require grain or money or possessions from this man. The Lord required his heart from this man. Again, understanding the culture that Jesus is speaking to people that understood the value of eternity. And this man was going, I'm not focusing on eternity. I'm focusing on here and now. The truth that we must grasp, that we must apply as we walk through this parable, walk through these next few points is this. When God has not been put in his proper order in our lives, your life will always be out of order. When God is not put in the proper order, the proper place in your life, your life will inevitably always be out of order. You say, well, Pastor Kevin, phew, I got my money in order, and I want to ask you, how do you have your family? Oh, I got my family, and I want to ask you, how do you have your time? Where are your priorities? Jesus is not, even though money is the topic of this dialogue here, he says, greed in any form, be on guard. Today, I want to show you three things that Jesus teaches us. Number one, that each of us have a choice in how we are to invest our lives. How many like choices? I like choices. I like options. I like options. I love this because Jesus comes and says, there are options, but there's only one right option. How many realize that, that we'd like, to, even though that there are many right ways to do certain things in God's kingdom, there's only one right way. There's only one option. And many times we step back as, as believers and we feel the pinch in our lives and we're going, but I want to do it this way. I want to compromise that. 
We each have a choice of how to invest our lives. There's not, only, there's not one hint in this story that this rich farmer cared for anyone else but himself. He was entirely self-absorbed. More for him and more for his, his retirement in the end. When the rich man talks in this parable, he talks only to himself. In Luke chapter 12, verses 17 through 19, he says this, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. I will do this. I will put my barns, uh, uh, pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. What I've realized is when you have a warped heart, you have a warped filter. When you have a warped heart, when you are self-absorbed, your heart is warped, and therefore everything you do is filtered through that warped heart. That's why in Proverbs it says, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of everything. It's the filter. It's where life comes from. Today, if you're coming back and going, well, Pastor Kevin, I'm not greedy, and I want to come back and go, you may not be greedy, but if everything is you're filtering everything in your life about I and my and me, you have a warped heart. Your filter is warped. And you need to step back and go, God, I need my filter to be changed. The choice is simply put, you have greed for self or you have richness towards God. Jesus communicated all throughout the Gospels. Luke chapter 16, verse 13, he says, you cannot, everyone say cannot, you cannot serve both God and mammon. You can't, you cannot, you, there's a choice. You either have to make, you, there's only room for one Lord in your life. Mammon was the God of money. And so he's coming back and going, you can either choose the God of creation or the God of money. You have to choose one. Mark chapter 4, verse 19 says this, and part of the, one of the parables that we've actually gone through, still others like seed that was thrown among the thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things came in and they did something significant. It chokes out the word in our lives. Can I tell you there's a reason that Jesus is coming and going, no, there's a choice. There's a choice. You need to be cautious. You need to be aware. It's easy to slide. It's easy to slip. I'll say this this morning, that greed usually isn't a deliberate, deliberate choice. Greed doesn't usually come and go, oh, I'm going to be greedy. i got to get more. Generally, greed is a gradual slide to go, oh, I need more. Oh, I would like more. Oh, man, wouldn't that be great? Man, they have that. That looks really cool. I want that. Jesus comes and he says, be on guard against all forms of greed. This word greed is an intense and a selfish desire for more of something. I want to say more of something. More of something. More of something. So as you look at your life and you come back and go, okay, what do I want more of? All of us would come back, well, I want more of Jesus. Well, that's the best answer. But how many of us always live out that best answer? We come back and we look at life and we go, oh, well, I have a little bit extra and I want more of this. Or man, I want, how do I get more of that? The Greek term here uh, for greed is pleonexia. 
an insatiable desire for more, something that cannot be satisfied. There's a longing that just desires more. Greed deceives us and convinces us that if we just had more of blank, then blank. If I had more money, then I could have a better car and it would be more reliable. If I had more money, then I could go do this and play. If I had more money, then, you know, I could actually give God more money. But I don't know if that's always the root of our desire. This, the primary thing about greed that often try, it tries to often use external things to deal with internal matters. We have a longing for something. We have all heard the story that in creation, God designed us with a hole in our lives that only Jesus can fill. Can I tell you what greed is trying to do? What all these things of the world are trying to do? They're trying to fill this void that's within us, and Jesus is the only thing that can fill the void. This Jewish man in the story, in this parable, he knew the reality of eternity. He knew the reality of reckoning with God. He knew all these things. But he got deceived by greed. So what's the problem with greed? Let me give three simple things. Number one, greed ignores the lordship of Christ. In this story, we see that over six times the man talked about himself and did not include Jesus at all. When we ask Jesus into our heart, he doesn't just want to be our Savior. He wants to be the Lord of our lives. There's a two-stage process to go, Jesus, would you come and save me, forgive me of my sins? But I make you Lord of my life. I'm going to choose to do what you've asked me to do. I'm going to choose to walk by your word. I'm going to choose to live my life in accordance with you. Greed also ignores the priority of relationships over riches. We can see in this story, the preliminary of it, that as the man is asking the questions, the real man, not the story part, but the real man that's asking the questions, hey, would you tell my brother to give, part, give me my, my part here? I don't know if the brother's in the crowd, but can you sense the tension that this brother is feeling? He's wanting justice. He's wanting something to take place. He feels, he feels like he's been wronged. So this relationship is no longer a focus. Jesus realizes in this story as this man is talking that there is something that's not right in his heart. How many know that Jesus is extremely perceptive? He knows everything. So you can say what you want to say, but Jesus knows what you mean. We can do what we want to do, but Jesus knows what's at the root of all that. And Jesus is coming and realizing, I need to speak to this concept of greed because this man, there's something that's not right in this person's life. Greed also ignores the shortness of life and the reality of eternity. When we're living for this world, when we're storing up for this world, we're not thinking of the reckoning on the other side. We're not even pondering. We're going, wow, look at my paycheck. Yeah, I'm going to give God his, but look what I get to do with the rest of it. And it shifts the way that we live. It shifts our priorities. It shifts our focus. Number one, God gives, a cho gives us a choice on how to invest. Number two, the world's perspective on how to invest is at odds with God's perspective. They're at odds. The world says, do this, and God's going complete opposite. Complete opposite. 
There are good and bad investment managers. A good investor recognizes his clients need him to invest very wisely because their financial future depends on him. The investments he makes determines their future. The world says that life consists of things, but God says that life consists of being rightly related to him. I would ask you today, if you would just ponder in your life to go, have you, have you pursued the wrong thing? Has there been moments in your life that you pursued the wrong thing? Are you pursuing the wrong thing right now? Are you disillusioned by how you should pursue? The world would view this rich man as a success. He would be featured in business magazines as a model to follow. He had not gained his wealth by dishonest or corrupt means. He had worked for it. He had poured his money back into his business. He'd done well. He was financially secure. He was now to enjoy the good life. Isn't that what we hope to do when we retire? To enjoy the good life? That we're going to go to school and we're going to get a career and we're going to save up money and we're going to have this time that we can retire and we can just go and enjoy the good life. Eat, drink, and be merry. And the caution that we have to come back to is what Jesus says to us in Matthew chapter 19. He says, or chapter 6, excuse me, verse 19. He says, do not accumulate for yourselves treasures on this earth. Where moth and devouring insect destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But accumulate for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and devouring insect do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. We can go a little bit further in this passage of Scripture right after the parable in verse 34 in chapter 12. And Jesus says, at the, finishes the second section there, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you are placing your priority in, that's where your heart is. That's where your focus is. That's where your attention is. That's where your time is. And you come back and say, Pastor Kevin, give me a clearer understanding Many times we come back and go, well, God, I'm giving you my tithe. We'll throw an offering here or there. And God's going, thank you for your obedience in that area. But lordship is so much more than just dropping a tithe check in. Lordship is saying, am I, am I submitting every decision of my life to him? Am I allowing him to, am I stewarding what he's given me? Am I abusing my body? Am I taking for granted my family? Am I using my time wisely? This man we see invested everything in earthly wealth for himself. William Barclay says this, this man's whole attitude was the very reverse of Christianity. Instead of denying himself, he aggressively, aggressively affirmed himself. Instead of finding happiness in giving, he tried to conserve it by keeping. God's perspective is not that riches are wrong, but he also communicates, or Paul communicates to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, your responsibility, Timothy, as you're pastoring this church, my responsibility, your responsibility is that we understand this. Instruct those who are rich. Who's rich? Everyone say, I'm rich. If you make more than $10,000 a year, you're rich. I'm rich. You say, well, Pastor Kevin, economy, it's up 12%, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to come back and go, are you trusting in this or are you trusting in him? Instruct those who are rich. 
in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies all those things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works. Instruct them to be generous and ready to share storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may not hold or so they may take hold of that which life which is life indeed Paul is coming to Timothy and he's saying Timothy teach your people that this this world is deceptive riches are deceptive things are deceptive Thirdly this morning Jesus teaches us that there's only one true way to invest successfully Many who hear this parable, especially in America today, are going, why was he called a fool? Dude, he's a hero. One could easily argue that the rich man is a wise and a responsible person, that he was a, has a thriving farming business. His land was, has produced so abundantly that he does not have enough storage space in his barn. So he, he plans. He's a wise investor. He pulls down his old barns and builds bigger ones and fills them with grain and his goods. Then he will have ample savings and set aside for the future. All of us strive for that idea. All of us want that. Today, when we talk about this parable, Jesus is not talking to the one percenters or the 0.7 percenters that we talked about. Jesus is talking to every person that hears the gospel. Regardless of the amount of money you make, there's a richness that all of us have. And again, going back to the Jewish culture, Jews understood that every blessing that they had was not theirs. It was given by God and and went back to God. There was an understanding. There was a principle of stewardship. This rich farmer is a fool not because he is wealthy, not because he didn't know how to save, not because he didn't know business practices. This rich farmer is a fool because he didn't secure his eternity and he lived for this planet. Luke 12, 20 says this, this very night your life is being demanded of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they now be? I think there's a confusion today. I think it's important that we are to lay up in store for those that are after us. But can I tell you today that there's some place that we are striving so hard to lay up in store for here on this planet that we have forgotten about there. On this planet, rust and moth are going to destroy. Things are going to distract. I was thinking about this story. Can you imagine the father of these two boys looking down and seeing the bickering and the fighting over the money that he left. You know, my mom, my dad, they have always said, we equal division. We don't want you bickering. We don't want you fighting. We don't want drama. It would have been heartbreaking to this man. Can I tell you today, if you're storing up in the right place, the focus is going to be right, and your kids need to know the focus is right. Bottom line, when it comes to the bottom of truth here, Jesus is asking, who is God in your life? Who is God in your life? 
Is it money? Is it possessions? Is it your job? Is it the, the ability to make money? Is it because you're really gifted in an area and you always get promotions, you always get recognition? Or is God God? Do you realize who it is that's given you everything? Luke chapter 12, verse 21 says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Everyone say rich towards God. What is it to be rich towards God? What is it to be rich towards God? Well, God, I, I pay my tithe every single month. What is it to be rich towards God? Isn't that all? Isn't that enough? Being rich towards God is having a heart that is drawn toward God as God as, as toward God as our riches. Being rich toward God means counting God as the greatest riches in life. Being rich towards God means using your earthly riches to show how much you value God. I love that last one. Jesus considered money hazardous because it lures us away from God. We talk about being rich towards God. Can I tell you that we serve a God who is an extravagant God? He's not just doling out. When he talked about forgiveness, he was an extravagant God that sent his son to die on a cross for you and me. Extravagant forgiveness. Extravagant grace. When we talk about being extravagantly rich towards Jesus, I have to go back to stories in the Bible and I see Mary who comes and breaks a, a year's worth of wages of perfume over the feet of Jesus. That's extravagant riches towards God. When I think of extravagant riches, I go all the way back to the Old Testament and I see David leading the ark to Jerusalem and every six steps he's sacrificing before God. That's extravagant richness towards God. Can I tell you, when we talk about this idea of richness towards God, we've got to realize that it's going to cost you something. It's not a token. It's not an idea. It's not a moment. It's not once a, once a month. It's a day-in, day-out process of saying, God, I'm I know there's going to be a reckoning, and I want to steward my life appropriately. How can I be rich towards God? We cultivate an attitude of humility, recognizing that all that we have comes from Him. How do we be rich towards God? We trust God completely. We refuse to put our trust in things that are on this planet. How do we be rich towards God? We be content we be content. Everyone say content. Can I tell you our biggest enemy in our culture today is discontentment? Discontentment. Be content with the blessings that God's given you in your life. Come to a place to go, go, this is enough. This is enough. Being rich towards God is practicing generosity with your finances, but with your time, with your life, with how you invest in people's lives, in relationships. That's richness towards God. Being rich towards God is, how you use, is seen in how you manage your life in light of eternity. Are you a steward of all that he's given you? As I close today, I don't know how many have seen the movie Schindler's List. I've gone a little long, but hey, I'm out of practice. Good excuse. I don't know if you've seen the movie Schindler's List. I don't even know if you know the story of Oscar Schindler. He was a man who lived during World War II. He was a German. As the Nazis came in and they began to turn against the Jews and persecute the Jews and kill the Jews, Oscar Schindler was a business owner and he was determined and he was filled with purpose. He wasn't a Christian. 
but he was filled with purpose to rescue the Jews. Throughout that entire time, he rescued approximately 1,600 Jews. It wasn't always done with honor. Sometimes it was bribes. Many times he would purchase them or he'd hire them, but he saved them from death in the gas chambers. He spent his entire personal fortune to bribe the German officials in order to save these people from their death. The war's over and Mr. Schindler is leaving his shop and he's moved with emotion. He says, I could have done more. I could have done more. And he begins to weep. The Jews gather around him, people gather around him and they try to console him and he points at his nice car and he says, I could have sold my vehicle so that I could have saved more. He reached in his pocket and he pulled out a fountain pen and a watch and he says, I could have sold these so that I could have saved more. He comes to the bottom line here and he says, did I do enough? My question to you today is I'm not God in your life. I can read a parable and I can read a story and there's truths that are here. But I want to ask you in light of this parable, are you doing enough to be rich towards God? Would God look at your life and say, you have been rich towards me? We go on in this passage of scripture right after this parable and Jesus comes into this concept in verse 30. He says, for the pagan world runs after all such things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Seek first my kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that, you will, not, that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes, and, uh, comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This passage of scripture is a sister scripture to Matthew where Jesus, we just read it. This whole concept that Jesus is coming and going, you're worrying about tomorrow, you're worrying about what you'll have, you're worrying about all this, and doesn't Jesus care enough about all those things? My closing question, and then we're gonna pray. I ask you today, ask yourself this question, am I really seeking first God's kingdom? Only you can answer that question. Someone could look at my life and go, Pastor Kevin, you're not seeking first God's kingdom. I could look at your life and probably make the same judgment. You, as you stand before God, the one that you have to reckon with, the one that is guaranteed that there is an eternity and you get a choice of where you get to go, heaven or hell. The reality of these parables are life-changing. They're kingdom-reorienting to come back and go, no, I can't just go about it the way I thought it was. Jesus comes and says, beware, be alert. Everyone can be deceived. Everyone can slip. Everyone can be disoriented. Am I really seeking first God's kingdom? Am I constantly thinking of the stewardship of my life and my money and my things in light of eternity, in light of what God is doing at this moment? Heavenly Father, today I thank you. I thank you that you are a gracious, gracious God. 
I thank you today that we have a moment to hear the strength of your word, that we have the clarity of this parable that Jesus is speaking to us, to unbelievers and to believers alike. He's trying to stir a heart and a mind. God, we thank you for your word. God, today, you know across this room, God, where there are areas of our lives where we have not sought your kingdom first. God, I love today that you're not a God of condemnation. God, we're not to look at this and go, oh, woe is me. I'm a horrible person. We're to look at this and go, oh, I made a mistake. Help me fix it, God. So across this room in this moment, would you just pray, God, help me to put your kingdom first? God, help me to seek you first. God, help me to rearrange my priorities. God, help me to be rich towards you. Help me to live rich towards you. As your eyes are closed across this room, there may be in this room, there are those that have not even endeavored to make him first. You acknowledge him as as Jesus in your life. You acknowledge him as a savior in your life, but you are not entertaining him at all. And today, I want to call you along with those that may not have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord. But I want to call you, those that are on the borderline, those that may have acknowledged but are not living, seeking his kingdom. Would you come to Jesus today? Would you make your life right today? As we see this rich man, he understood principles, but he wasn't walking those principles. You may be here, and you may understand principles, but you've allowed the deceitfulness of life to deceive you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if that is you this morning, would you raise your hand, not because I want to know, but because I want to pray with you, that you acknowledge in your life that you've had wrong priorities. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Today, would you pray with me? Today, Jesus. Come on, today, Jesus. I align my life with you. Forgive me of my sins, God. Help me to live for you. Help me to, uh, to seek you first in all that I do. Be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. God, we thank you today. Come on, let's celebrate their, their lives today. Amen, amen, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you for coming today. Thank you for joining us. It's good to see you. We have two prayer warriors up here. If you need prayer today, we believe in the power of prayer. We believe in the power of healing. We power, believe in the power of restoration. You need the Holy Spirit to touch your life. Come and let them pray over you. Would you do that today? Otherwise, you're dismissed, and we will see you next Sunday. God bless. Have a fantastic week. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.